Isn't that uh, nice to see and uh, get a little glimpse of what they got to experience at Oshkosh? Looks like it was fun. Yeah. Well, it's awesome that our church and so many of our churches have the ministry of Pathfinders. It's good to hear the reports for what God is doing in and through them. I wanted to share just a brief update about our Bible study outreach that we've been doing. We've been doing advertising on Facebook, and we've had six people in our community say, yeah, we want Bible studies. Lewis and Lorena went by and visited one lady, and they've got an appointment scheduled for next week. And so fill out those cards that are in your bulletins, because we need more people to go along for the people that have already said, yes, come bring us Bible studies. We need your help. And so fill those out and give it to us a little bit later. Let's bow our heads and we'll get into God's word. Dear God, we're so thankful that you transported our pathfinders safely, almost 5,000 miles round trip. We're thankful that there were those 1,300 baptisms, Lord, lives changed and, and hearts that were recommitted. Um, we're just so blessed and so grateful. Lord, we hope you come back before 2024. Um, but in the meantime, Lord, help us to be faithful in doing your work here in our church, here in our community, in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I still remember the day that I forgot my wife's name. We weren't married at the time. We were just dating out at Andrews University, Berrien Springs, Michigan. I was over at somebody's house and I saw one of Sarah's classmates. And I said, oh, hey, how you doing? And we just were having small talk. And I wasn't sure if, if she knew that I was dating her. And so I was about to say, hey, I'm dating your Sarah, your classmate. But then my mind got sidetracked with another thought at the same time. And so I'm starting to say, I'm dating and then my mind is caught with that like spinning wheel that your computer or your phone has. And I realize this is getting more and more awkward by the millisecond because what's my girlfriend's name again? <laughs> and so it just kind of came out as I'm dating the, your, cl your classmate. And I think she may have even supplied Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. And <laughs> what do you do at that point? So I said, let's just not tell Sarah about this <laughs> moment here. My mind was occupied with something else. And, but then I thought, you know what? I need to be the one to break the news. So I, hey, you'll never guess what happened. <laughs> you can expect that with casual acquaintances, right? You go to Oshkosh, somebody you saw five years earlier. Hey, good to see you. You're looking for the name tag. <laughs> People that are just casual, people that you don't see very often. Uh, the sermon title for today is King What's-His-Name. Not that the people forgot his name, but he was only king for such a short time that it almost makes you wonder if they kind of forgot what his name was. Hey, what was that king's name that we had? He didn't reign for very long. It was only like, like a year. In fact, as we look in the Bible, his name is, is spelled three different ways. Azariah. Jehoahaz and Amaziah. Uh, probably not because they forgot the name. There's variant spellings or a scribal gloss here or there. But I want to open up our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8 
to talk about this guy that, that reigned for such a short time that it would be easy. If you were going to forget a king, forget a name, he would be the one. Second Kings chapter 8. Not a long story. Not many verses about his life. But some important words for us to consider. Second Kings chapter 8. We'll start in verse 25. When you're there, say, I'm there. 2 Kings 8, 25. Bible there says, In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was how old? 22. Uh, in 2 Chronicles it says 42, that, but that's probably just... Uh, a little oopsie. Uh, the Bible has little oopsies here and there. Um, but the cool thing is, never in a way that impacts its message. Um, and I'm not bothered if, if the scribe thought it was 42 or 22. Um, because his dad was only 40. So we know he couldn't have been 42. Uh, otherwise he would have been born before his dad was born. Uh, but we can have great confidence in God's word. Um, so he's 22 years old when, the king, uh, when he began to be king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was what? Athaliah, Athaliah, Atalia, different ways to pronounce it. She's the only woman in the Bible who the Bible ever calls wicked. That's his mom, okay? Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of who? Ahab, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So let's unpack here a little bit what we're dealing with. Amaziah reigned over 400 years before the time of Jesus. So that's kind of the time frame. We're, we're talking 2,800 plus years ago. And if you read the story in 2 Chronicles, he's actually the youngest son of his father, and all of his brothers were killed. They were out away from the city camping. Um, not probably camping, camping, but they were in tents, the Bible says. And some raiders from another country came through and slaughtered all of his brothers. He apparently wasn't on the trip, and he survived. It's interesting because God had promised to David that he would preserve a royal line. David, you have been faithful to me, so I'm always going to give you a son on the throne. And all of his older brothers were killed, but he survived. And even though his father was, was bad and, and he had a lot of bad things in his ancestry, God allowed him mercifully to be on the throne. So he's there. He's a young guy. How old did we say he was? He was 22 years old. Comes to the throne. His grandfather is Ahab. His grandmother, what was her name? Uh, his mom was Athaliah. His grandmother was Jezebel. So how do you like that on one side? That's quite a legacy um, of, of your grandparents. But he had a good grandfather on his, on his uh, other side, on his dad's side. His, his grandfather was Jehoshaphat that we talked about several weeks ago. He was a really good king. Made a lot of really good choices. So he got to see the different ways of living. But the Bible tells us 
that the influence of his mom, Athaliah, had a really dominant um, impact in his life. I'll show you here in 2 Chronicles 22. It says, He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab for or because, why? His mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. Boy, talk about getting a, a rough start to life. His mom saying, hey, you should go do this. Hey, serve this God. Hey, no, no, don't do what Grandpa Jehoshaphat did. Do what I tell you. This is how we worship. Parents, grandparents, family members, we have a huge influence on the people in our lives. How careful do we need to be that we're making good decisions? So he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord for the house, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father... They were his counselors to his what? To his undoing. He got bad advice. We talked about bad advice many times before. Bad advice from these other people. Notice the next verse. He even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram, that's his uncle, son of Ahab, king of Israel, to make war against Haziel, the king of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. Okay. So he's got a, a, a really wicked mom. His dad wasn't that great either. He's accepting the bad advice from the people from Ahab's side of the family. And he's making these bad choices. He's only 22. And his uncle, Uncle Joram, or Jehoram, depending on uh, the variant, his uncle says, hey, son, nephew, we're going to war. You're going to come with us, right? We're allies, right? You're the king of your nation. I'm the king of my nation. Let's go to war. And there's kind of some interesting historical context. Who was he going to war against, according to the verse there in 2 Chronicles? Haziel, right? Haziel is king of Syria. Syria had done some bad things to Israel. They had taken their territory. They had previously battled together. In fact, Ahab, trying to get back territory... Uh, had been killed in the process. And so there's this bad blood between the Assyrian people and between the people of Israel. And so Uncle Joram decides it's time to go to war, to get revenge, and also get some territory back. We want the cities back that were taken from us. But it's interesting studying a little bit more about King Haziel. King Haziel uh, we found, not we, but the archaeological community has found various inscriptions with his name on it. In fact, there are these ivory inscriptions that used to hang by his bed, has his name on it. But one of the most important findings from Haziel is what they call the Tel Dan inscription. It was found uh, way up here in the north, a city called Dan. Tel just means mound. It's, it's kind of more of a mound today. Um, in the city of Dan, he wrote an inscription. They're pretty sure it was him. And it, it details all the things that he did, all of his conquests. It's very interesting because he actually, on this, this broken piece of, of clay, he details all of his exploits, different kings that he beat people that he claims to have killed. Uh, now, he actually claims to have killed 
uh, the character from our story today. Um, sometimes kings like to brag a little bit and, and claim a little bit more than they actually did. Um, you see this in, in a number of examples. But he mentions eight different kings that are in the Bible. Haziel, Ben-Hadad II, Ahab, Joram, Ahaziah, Jehoram, David, Jehu. And he also mentions there in, in the white lettering the house of David. This is the first mention of the house of David. There were a lot of skeptics that saying, oh, David wasn't that great. David never existed. Speaking of David from our Pathfinder experience, well, here, etched in stone is archaeological evidence that David was a real character, and he, he had a house, and this is referring to his kingdom, um, his lineage. So it's awesome to see the discoveries that people are pulling up out of the ground, showing that the people that are talked about in the Bible aren't just fictitious people made up in the mind of some scribe long ago. These are actual people and places and events that happened and transpired. We can have confidence that what the Bible talks about actually happened. Uh, so a very interesting and important inscription here. So the, the city in particular that, that the two kings, Israel and Judah, were wanting to get back was Ramoth-Gilead, which had been taken by the Syrians. They wanted it back, they wanted to get revenge, and so under the guidance of his evil uncle Joram, Ahaziah, excuse me, Amaziah, getting the names confused myself, King What's-His-Name, he decides that he's going to go to war. But as you saw and, and recall in the verse that we saw, Joram gets injured in the battle. Let's pick it back up in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 8 um, and now look at verse 28. So it says, He went with Joram, son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, the king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. We don't have many details. We don't know how he's wounded, whether it was by arrow or by spear or by sword, but Uncle Joram gets a serious wound. So he actually won the battle, they took back Ramoth-Gilead, but in the process he was wounded, so he goes back to Jezreel. Um, we can point to that right over here. He comes from here, Joram is wounded, he goes to Jezreel to recover and get his strength and health back. Well, in the process, the Bible tells us what happens next. Look there at verse 29. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Joram, Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. So he goes on visitation. Hey, my uncle, he's sick. He needs my help. I'm going to go visit him and cheer him up, which sounds like a good thing, right? It sounds like a good thing, except that this was a fatal mistake. Because what we're going to see next is that God was going to use this evil connection, uh, this influence of the bad uncle and the bad uh, Israelite nation. He was going to allow 
Amaziah to be caught up uh, in judgment upon the house of Ahab. So he's going down there. He's just going to go visit his uncle, hoping that his uncle will recover. But the Bible tells us that something bad happened next. Notice what it says here in 2 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 7. But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his going to visit Joram. It's an interesting phrase here. You know, sometimes God, God punishes in a lot of different ways. We've talked a lot about how God often in his punishment simply lets us experience the consequences of our sin. And that's punishment enough. We make those bad mistakes and that's all we need. Other times, God, in, more, in a more active way, removes his protecting hand from us. Uh, and, and sometimes um, it allows the evil that God has been holding back to come in and to bring us, hopefully, back to our knees. Because God's purpose, anytime he allows punishment, anytime he, he tries to correct us, is to bring us back to him. Amen? The goal of discipline is discipleship. That's the goal. Parents, when you have to correct your kids, it's not because you hate them, at least I assume not, because you love them. And you want to save them. You want to save them from self-destruction. And so God tries to get his people back in various ways. But sometimes, simply allowing the natural consequences is not enough or removing God's protective hand is not enough, sometimes God has to bring direct and early judgment. We can think about stories of people like Uzzah who experienced God's early judgment. But again, God is working redemptively in all of this because he has a whole people to save. He has a Messiah that needs to be born, that needs to save the world. He needs to warn others against the consequences of rebellion. And God alone can see if somebody's not going to repent. He can see, maybe I need to bring early judgment on them since they aren't going to change their ways so that others can change their ways. And so God, knowing what was about to happen, allowed it to go on. He ordained it. Not that there was no free will. God saw the pre God saw what people were going to freely choose to do, and God allowed it to happen. So God had ordained it. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. So uncle is, is there on his bed. He's trying to recover. Nephew Ahaziah comes by to see him. And then in the process... People on the wall, you can read more of the story. But people are seeing somebody's driving their chariot all crazy. It's like some of you guys' drivers, right? And they're like, who is that? They didn't have binoculars, but somehow it seems good to, to do this. Who is that? Maybe they're shading their eyes from the sun. And they said, that guy is driving so wildly, it's got to be Jehu. Jehu, what's he doing here? And so they send out, they go out to see what Jehu wants. Let's go back to 2 Kings. We'll pick up the story there. 2 Kings chapter 9 now. We're going to jump down. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 27. 
They go out there, and Jehu is there not for good things. He's, been, he's on a mission. God has told him, you need to take care of the house of Ahab. But Jehu, he goes further than God wants. Uh, and, and Jehu actually gets punished later on because he just was a bloodthirsty man. He goes further than God wants, but he takes out uncle. And then look at verse 27, 2 Kings 9. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, saw that his uncle had been killed, saw that these bad things had happened, he starts to run. He says, I'm out of here. And he fled by the road to Beth Hagan. So Jehu pursued him, and he said, shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblium. Then he fled to Megiddo, and he died there. In the process of all of this, of seeing what's going on with Jehu, he tries to flee, but he doesn't escape. God had allowed this because God needed somebody on the throne who was going to lead the people in righteousness and lead people in the way that he'd called them to go. Verse 28, And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem, and they buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. And that's the end of the story for King What's-His-Name. Sad story, huh? Again, I warned you at the beginning of this series, there would be a lot of sad stories that we'd deal with. So he was 20 year, 22 years old when he started to reign. He ruled about a year, so he was about 23 year, years old when he passed away. You know, I think about a lot of my friends. I think about people my age or younger, and sometimes there's this idea that we say, I know that I want to serve God and follow him because I know that God's real, I know that he's important, but I'm going to do it a little bit later. I just want to enjoy the stuff of this world for a while, and then I'm going to get my stuff together, and I'm going to start serving God in the future because I know that that's most important. I know, I know, I know. I grew up knowing it. And you know, it's not just younger people who say this. It can be adults, too. I've got time. I know that God's been knocking on my heart, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But I'll get there. The scary thing is, number one, you may not have the time. Young King Ahaziah thought he had a whole life in front of him. Less than one year later, he's gone. But what's even scarier than that is many people, in their minds, they think, I want to be more holy in the future. I want to be with God in the future. And then when they get to that future point, they don't care anymore. Because every day that we make choices, we decide how our heart is being shaped. And many people grow old, and by the time they're old, their hearts have been so shaped and steered away by their choices every single day that they don't even care. And that's why so many times in the Bible, we see the emphasis that today is the day. Now is the time. Joshua, he said... Basically, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Make your choice today. 
So we can read a, a short story today and a sad story, but it can accomplish a good purpose to remind us that every day is important. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So today, I want to choose God. I want to choose to be more like him. We're going to have a special music here to wrap up before we pray. Uh, that really is, is a prayer. God, give me more holiness. Give me a greater desire to serve you. Give me a greater passion for you, God. And if that's your desire, just uh, pray the words along in your heart as you listen.
pray. Dear God, you've heard the words of this song and they've struck a chord in my heart and many of those here. We realize that life is a gift and we are joyfully living it today. But we know that no, no day is guaranteed, no day is promised. So today, Lord, we say we want to be more like you. We want to have more joy in your presence a greater desire to be holy, to be more like you. So Lord, help us to put these prayers and these thoughts and desires into action. May we day by day live out this desire by choosing to spend time with you, choosing to fellowship with the believers, choosing to reach out and help others know how good you are. We're looking forward to that great campery in the sky in heaven, uh, someday soon. Keep us faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>